find uh, the sixth chapter of Ephesians. You shouldn't have any trouble finding Ephesians, I don't think, by now. Uh, we are somewhere up around, we're getting very close to 90 lessons in uh, Ephesians now. and We'll probably finish out somewhere around 95 to 100. And uh, we've had a pretty good look, an extensive look at the book of Ephesians. But I've decided as we uh, close out this sixth chapter that we would spend some time dealing with uh, the subject of Christian warfare. One of the biggest things that deceptions of the religious world today is that when you become a Christian, you enter into a life of ease, that all of your troubles are gone, they're all in the past. God is only interested in one thing. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy and you'll never have a problem on the horizon. And some Christians uh, have the attitude that, well, now I've turned everything over to God, I'm saved, and so I'm going to let God do what He's going to do, and I'll sit down, take my ease, I'll just rest it out, and I'll be that kind of a Christian. And they don't understand that God is certainly going to do what God does. He always does that. But... It's God's intention that in the Christian life, we will only win victories. We will only become strong by diligent service, by fighting and and battling for every inch inch of spiritual ground that we gain and every piece of spiritual progress. And that's why Paul uses words in chapter 6 like wrestling and putting on the armor of God. That's why he says things like stand, stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. And the picture that Paul is giving us is that we are to hold our ground. We're not to give up an inch of territory. Songwriters have written some great Christian hymns that have to do with warfare. And some of the greatest hymns that we sing actually came out of the period uh, during the Civil War and just afterward. Uh, One songwriter said, Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. Uh, That song was written by Philip Bliss. The song is Hold the Fort, and he wrote that song after he heard about an incident in the Civil War. I was reading the story about this the other day, and I thought it was interesting, so I just thought I would read to you exactly what I read, where where he got the idea for this song, Hold the Fort. Just before William Tecumseh Sherman began his famous march to the sea in 1864, And while his army lay camped in the neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia, on the 5th of October, the army of Hood, in a carefully prepared movement, passed the right flank of Sherman's army, gained his rear, and commenced the destruction of the railroad leading north, burning blockhouses and capturing the small garrisons along the line. Sherman's army was put in rapid motion pursuing Hood to save the supplies and larger posts, the principal one which was located at Altoona Pass. General Course of Illinois was stationed there with about 1,500 men, Colonel Tortolot being second in command. A million and a half rations were stored here, and it was highly important that the earthworks commanding the pass and protecting the supplies be held. 6,000 men under the command of General French were detailed by Hood to take the position. The works were completely surrounded and summoned to surrender. Course refused, and a sharp fight commenced. The defenders were slowly driven into a small fort on the crest of the hill. Many had fallen, and the result seemed to render a prolongation of the fight hopeless. At this moment, an officer caught sight of a white signal flag far across the valley, 20 miles distant, upon the top of Kennesaw Mountain. The signal was answered, and soon the message was waved across from mountain to mountain. 
Hold the fort. I am coming. W.T. Sherman. Cheers went up. Every man was nerved to full appreciation of the position. And under a murderous fire which killed or wounded more than half the men in the fort, Corse himself being shot three times through the head and Tortolot taking command, though himself badly wounded, they held the fort for three hours until the advance guard of Sherman's army came up. French was obliged to retreat. And so Philip Bliss wrote those words, Ho, my comrades, see the signal waving in the sky. Reinforcements now appearing. Victory is nigh. Hold the fort, for I am coming. Jesus signals still. Wave the answer back to heaven. By thy grace we will. You know, before the modern age of uh, preachers with sweet preachers with diamond rings and French cuffs, Uh, Christians really used to understand the idea of warfare. Paul certainly understood it because he lived it and he fought in it and he did that without health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, tonight we're still talking about this warfare and I want to speak this evening on the subject, Be Strong. And that's what Paul says in the Scriptures, Be Strong. So let's stand for the reading of our text verses, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you tonight. We are uh, thankful that we're servants of yours. We need to be fighting servants. Lord, help us that we might understand that ever so much better, that there's a warfare that we're engaged in and we need to do our very best, give our very best, Never give up an inch of ground, but stand strong and faithful to your word and to your purposes. We ask you, Lord, you might bless this message tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Be strong in the Lord, Paul says. You know, I like songs about Christian warfare. I love uh, the song that we sang tonight, for instance, Soldiers of Christ Arise. I remember uh, when I was a child, we used to have Bible school in the summertime, like we are now doing here at Berean. And one of the things that we would do during Bible school is we'd have all the kids that would line up outside of the church building. We'd have the Christian flag there and the American flag and the Bible. And we would line up behind those flags and behind the Bible. And all the kids would march into the auditorium. And while we were marching, we were singing, Onward, Christian soldiers marching as to war. And we did that every single, every single summer, uh, summer rather. Onward Christian soldiers marching as to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. So I like these songs that we sing. Faith is the victory, soldiers of Christ arise. But really I'm afraid that uh, too many Christians know far more about singing the songs and they like to sing the songs rather than they do to get into the Christian warfare. Most of us, quite frankly, are not very good about fighting. Uh, You have many Christians that aren't very cheered for the battle. Uh, We're somber, griping, complaining all the time. Uh, Whenever you get a sneeze or a little sniffle, I mean, that's enough to keep many church members out of church for at least a couple of weeks. And then Wednesday nights, oh, Wednesday nights, it's hard to get on Wednesday nights. I mean, there's so much to do. We're so tired after work. But I don't think that this is the picture that we get from the New Testament. Certainly, it's not the picture that Paul gives us of a Christian when he says, be strong, and when he talks about fighting. It's not the kind of soldier that Paul has in mind. Now, this evening, I'd just like to give you some reasons about why you need to be strong. First of all, you need to be strong because the enemy is strong. 
And make no mistake about that, the enemy is strong. He's not on vacation. He's not taking a break from warfare. And though you may decide that you're not going to fight, the devil is always going to be in this warfare. He's always plotting. He's always scheming. He never goes on furlough. And so he's always waiting for that next attack that he's going to bring against you. Now, this evening, we're not going to talk particularly about how the devil works. We're not going to talk about what his power is like because uh, we've dealt with that extensively over the past several weeks as we've talked about the wiles of the devil. So we're going to look at this at just a little bit different angle tonight. Why do you need to be strong? Well, first I would say you need to be strong because the enemy is strong and also to avoid the agony of defeat. To avoid the agony of defeat. You may remember that ABC's Wild World of Sports used to have that slogan, the agony of defeat. I've heard some shoe stores that use that as well, agony of defeat. But uh, on ABC Wild World of Sports, you'd you'd see this guy coming down a, a ski ramp, and he's, you know, getting ready to take off. He's gathering speed. All of a sudden, he catches an edge on his skis, and he starts tumbling, and he comes down the side of that ski ramp and flies off of the side. Well, the agony of defeat in that is that after months and months of preparation, uh, and as far as the Olympics are concerned, we might even be talking about years of preparation to get to that point, he falls, he stumbles, and all the preparation is lost. Well, this is what the devil is trying to do to you. He's trying to twist you. He's trying uh, to bend you out of shape. He puts depressing thoughts into your head. He brings anxieties and worries and temptations against you. And you might even have been a Christian for years, And yet, when you start to survey your life and find out where you were and where you've come to, with all the adversity that the devil has given, you find that there's really not a whole lot of progress in your Christian life. If you're not a healthy, growing Christian, then you're not going to be a happy Christian. And one of the things about failure in the Christian life is the misery that it brings. There's not a happy Christian who lives in the agony of defeat. That's a sorrowful place to be. And there's also a peculiar thing about this wealth uh, warfare. And that is, uh, the things that you find out that you should be doing, you don't do. And Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. But the very things that you ought to do to get you out of that defeat, to get you away from that depression or anxiety that you're in, the very things that you ought to do, you find out those are the things that you don't do. You just stay in the misery. Many people have that belittling, belittling uh, besetting sin that they're always in, an habitual sin that they can't get rid of, and so that always keeps them in that spiritual defeat. And so there's no lasting enjoyment for a Christian who's in defeat. And that situation uh, just continues to get worse and worse, and it keeps you in misery. Well, I hear is where you need to draw on the strength of the Lord. There's not a single person here tonight, there's not a Christian anywhere who overcomes sin and adversity without the strength of the Lord. What a person has to do, he must surrender to the power of Christ that's working in him. And folks that want to be strong in their Christian lives are not going to find the answer to this by skipping out of church. You're not going to find it by neglecting your prayer life or or, or leaving God's Word on the shelf day after day. You're not going to find victory that way. The Bible says we have to be girded up with these weapons of warfare. And if we're not, then we will continually stay in the agony of defeat. Now, that's bad enough. It's bad enough for a Christian to be weak and and not to draw on the supply of God's power because that causes him to live in personal defeat. But there's a far more important purpose why you need to be strong. 
And that is that you need to be strong to avoid the Almighty's defamation. You see, you're a soldier of the Lord. And that means that you represent Jesus Christ. And whenever you have a Christian who's living in defeat, what that does is to defame the character of God Almighty. Now, what we're talking about here is reputation of Jehovah God. And whenever you have a servant of God who lives in defeat, you're putting a black mark on God's name. You know, Christians are so concerned today about personal pleasure. They're concerned about how they feel and about the prosperity that they enjoy. And you listen to different preachers around the country like like Osteen and, and many of these other rich televangelists, and they're always talking about you. This is what you need. This is what God wants for you. You deserve this. You deserve to have God's very best. It's always about what God wants for you. And so the concentration that these people have is always upon self. And you know something that they totally miss? They never talk about the holiness and the righteousness and the supremacy of God. And that's exactly why they don't preach against sin. They're not concerned about God's character. They don't worry about God's name. If your life tramples God's name through the mud, don't worry about that because the concern is about you. How do things affect you? And that's the most important thing. That's not Christianity. That's not the Christianity that the Bible talks about because this is not about you. This is about Him. It's about Christ. We exalt His name and we lift up the name of Christ not because He gives us things and not because God answers to every sniveling whim that we have. That's not why we exalt the name of God. We exalt Him because of who He is and because God deserves our worship and our praise. Now, Christians, we need to get the picture that we are servants is what we are. We're servants of the Almighty. And so we belong to Him. And that means that everything that we do reflects on the character of God. Well, this reminds me of what the prophet Nathan said to David after the sin with Bathsheba. Nathan came to David, and he wasn't really too much concerned about how much sorrow was caused in David's life. He wasn't really too much concerned about the the effects on David, or that God was even going to take David's child because of it. The main thing that Nathan was concerned about, he was concerned about how David's failure reflected on God. And so here's what he says in 2 Samuel. He says to David, Howbeit, because by this deed thou hast given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born unto thee shall surely die. Nathan's idea here is that David's actions slandered the name of God. Now, do you know what Satan is most interested in? That very thing. He is interested in slandering the name of God. Now, Satan could care very little about the effects that sin have on you personally. He he may try to make you think that he's concerned about that, but in the big picture, the thing that he's concerned about is how can I best defame the name of God? You need to understand that the world is always watching us And whenever you enter into that sin that you think that affects nobody but me, it's not going to hurt anybody else, then you need to remember that your pleasures and all those things that you go into, people are watching what you do. And your sin leads people away from Christ. And so, when you're strong and you fight that temper that you have, when you fight the tempter, when you fight temptation, when you fight sin in your life, then you're giving credence to the power of the gospel. Then you're saying it's all real. When you triumph over evil, that's always a testimony for the name of Jehovah. 
So always remember this, no matter what you do, when you consider an action, either this, will either this will either lead people to Christ or this will lead people away. And so you need to be strong because your failures not only hurt you personally, but they also besmirch the name of Almighty God. And why else do you need to be strong? Well, secondly, you need to be strong because the Lord is strong. And we've talked about the devil uh, in the past few weeks, and we've seen the kind of power and influence that the devil has. You might remember that when I started that first message preaching about the Bible, I told you about one preacher that I heard that, that he said, well, I'll never preach an entire sermon about the devil. He said, the devil is just not worth it. So I won't preach a whole sermon about the devil. Well, I understand those sentiments. I know exactly what he means, but I don't preach whole sermons on the devil because I stand in awe of him. Not at all. I preach a sermon on the devil because I want to emphasize that I stand in awe of God. I stand in awe of the one who has more power than even the devil has. As powerful as he is, he's no match for God. And so you can be strong and you can have hope, you can have confidence in the strength of the Lord because he is the Almighty. You can be strong even though the devil is strong because we serve one who is much stronger. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew. He said, But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God is coming to you. Or how else, or else how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man? And then he will spoil his house. Well, Jesus is talking there about his power to overcome Satan. Now, Jesus is the, is the, is the stronger person. Here, Satan, in, in what he says here, is the strong man. And then when he, that is when Jesus comes, he casts out devils, and that means he goes into the strong man's house, he binds up the strong man, and he plunders his house. And do you know that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does in regeneration? He comes into a heart that's been bound by Satan, one that has absolutely no power to overcome his inherent depravity, He comes in the heart of somebody who's in the clutches of the devil. And what the Holy Spirit does, he comes and he kicks the devil out of his stronghold. And then the Holy Spirit takes control of that person's life. He takes possession of whom he chooses. Now, some folks, though, they say, well, no, that's not right. You can resist this influence of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you resist the Holy Spirit, who actually is doing the resisting? Is that you? Who is it that instigates the resistance? That's the devil, isn't it? And so when the Holy Spirit comes, if you're able to resist regenerating influences, the power of God, then that means that the devil is stronger than the Holy Spirit. And what we have then is the man who is strong binding the stronger man. And that's not the way it works. When the Holy Spirit wants to come into the heart, Jesus says, I cast out Satan. I bind the strong man. And so when a sinner is drawn savingly by Jesus Christ or by the Holy Spirit, he always comes to Christ. But the spirits, or rather the scriptures, do give us ample evidence of God's strength. And you can be strong because of the confidence that he is strong. Now let me very quickly give you five demonstrations of the Lord's strength. First of all, the Lord is strong, and that's demonstrated by his action. I'm talking here about the miracles of Christ. Christ did things that nobody else could do. I'm not going to go into all the miracles of Christ tonight. Uh, Remember when we were studying the Gospel of John that John highlighted seven of Jesus' greatest miracles. And in the end of that Gospel account, John wrote, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So John goes through those seven miracles, and he talks about all these other things that Christ did, and he said that these miracles of Jesus are uncommon. Nobody else can do what Jesus did. Now, if somebody could, there would be no purpose at all in pointing out Jesus. He'd be just like any other man. But he does things that no one else can do, and that's because he's strong. And that's proof of his power of God. The power of God is in him. And then also we know that he's strong because it's demonstrated by his temptation. In Matthew chapter 4, we have the account of Christ's temptation. And there it tells us that after 40 days of fasting, Jesus was in a, a physically weakened condition. And remember, he was just as much man as he was God. And so that means that he had a human body. It was subject to all the frailties that we have. And yet the scripture shows us in that condition that Jesus resisted everything the devil threw at him. He did not fail. He did not fall into sin. Now that's a remarkable thing because if you take Jesus' experience of 40 days in the wilderness and you compare that to what Adam did, Adam was put into a perfect environment. Adam had everything that he could possibly want right at his fingertips. And yet Adam sinned. Adam fell. If we look at Lucifer, the Bible tells us that he's the, he was the anointed cherub. He had access even to the throne room of God. And let Lucifer was lifted up with pride. And through his pride, he fell. You know what that tells us? It tells us that Christ is greater than any human. Christ is greater than any angel. He endured temptation under the worst of conditions and he never failed. And that's why the writer of Hebrews said, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may find grace to help in time of need. And so you can have confidence in the strength of the Lord and come boldly to his throne, because he has the ability to help. And then also... The Lord's strength is demonstrated by his resurrection. Is the Lord strong? Well, the resurrection of Christ proves that. In this same epistle, Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says, The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. And then all Paul also tells us in the book of Romans that the power that raised up Christ is the same power by which we'll be raised up. And then he says that this same power also is the power, it has the power to put to death sin in the mortal body. Now you can read about that in Romans chapter 8, verses 11 through 14. And the obvious implication from what Paul says is that the devil who influences the devil who fights against us has no power at all when we come in the strength of the Lord. And then he is strong and it's demonstrated by his salvation. And by that I mean the all-sufficiency of salvation is found in God. Now tonight we're of course talking about fighting. We're talking about warfare. We're talking about weapons of warfare. We're talking about battling all the time. And certainly... Uh, as we battle, we have to have God's help, and God doesn't go and fight battles alone. Uh, he employs us and uses us in the battle. 
But when it comes to the idea of salvation, we need to very clearly understand that this is all of God. We do not contribute anything to our salvation. God plans it. God implements it. God fulfilled it. God moved in us. God gave us faith. And then God saved us. And so there's nothing at all in salvation that comes from man. Even when it comes right down to the reception of God's wonderful gift, it's God who puts that in us, the ability to receive it. And then it's secured by God. Our statement of faith reads this way. The Holy Spirit secures our voluntary cooperation with the gospel. Now, make no mistake about it, we do believe that we cooperate, but that cooperation does not come from the will of man. Our cooperation comes from the will of God. He's the one who puts that in us. So you can be strong in the Lord because of the very fact that you're saved. And then also, the fifth way that we can demonstrate Christ's strength, it's demonstrated by his protection. And we've talked uh, several weeks about God's special protection, how God sends angels and, and into this warfare. But not only does God send the angels, but the scriptures teach us that we have the Holy Spirit himself. The Holy Spirit is the seal and the guarantor that we're going to win this war. Now, Paul wrote this in chapter 1, again in Ephesians, "...in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, until the redemption of the purchased possession, under the praise of his glory." So there it says, we have been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And so we have God's infallible guarantee. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Now, as we look at these different things, Christ's action, his temptation, the resurrection, his salvation, his protection. And you know what all of that says to us? It says that this is not our personal war. You see, this is not really all about our fight with the devil. This is about God's fight with the devil. And the reason that we're involved in this fight is because of our association with God. And so God is the one who's controlling this warfare, and we can be strong because he has the power to protect us. And so every Christian soldier, you need to be strong because the enemy is strong, and you must be strong because the Lord is strong. But then let me say thirdly, be strong because you are strong. You actually are strong. Now you might say, well, I, I don't believe that. I, I, I don't know that I'm not strong. I've been singing Jesus loves me all of my life. He is weak, but I am strong. What do you mean I'm strong? Well, of course, I don't mean you're strong by yourself. But you haven't got the picture about this yet? I mean, don't you understand yet? I hope you do. We're not alone. It's not us individually. We have the power and the strength and the armies of God with us. But what about all those angels we talked about? You know, when somebody uh, says to you, you know, the mil United States military is really strong. United States has a strong military. Well, we're no, they're, no, they're not talking about the individual soldier. They're talking about the entire army, all the uh, army, Air Force even Marines, uh, put together, even all of them put together. You know, they're a formidable fighting force, that's to be sure. 
Well, you certainly are strong when you've got the entire army with you. But really, I'm not even talking about that because when it comes down to the individual, it is true. You are a lean, mean fighting machine. You are a child of God. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so that means that the power of God is inside you. See, you're strong. You just may not realize it yet. Maybe you haven't drawn on that power. You've been relying on your own strength. And if that's what you do, then you're going to be weak. And you need to understand that inside you, on that other side of you, in the place where the new nature has been implanted by God, the Bible says the Holy Spirit is there and he works and he joins with your spirit and God's power is there. Listen to these scriptures. Philippians 2.13 says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Colossians 1.29 says, Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God, not of us. You know what Paul means in that verse? He means we're humans that are made out of clay. We're made out of the dust of the ground. And so if you wanted to put it simply, we're nothing but dirt. It's what the scripture actually says. We're just the dirt of the ground. And so whenever we do something, whenever we win a victory, whenever we are successful, we can't take credit for that. The power is not us. The power is God working through us. The power and the sufficiency is all of God. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, what Paul says about treasure in earthen vessels. And here's what Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Hath not the potter power over the clay of the same lump to make one vessel unto honor and another unto dishonor? That scripture tells us God's in control. It tells us that we are in the hands of God. We're malleable in the hands of God. God's making us into something. And the scripture teaches us that God is making us a vessel of honor for him. Just like that song we sing, Sanctified, holy, that I might be a vessel of honor for him. Now, do you know what happened when God started his work in me? He said that he was going to finish it. God's not going to leave me in failure. God won't leave me broken, but God comes and he always promises that he will complete his work. Now, let's make that the last statement, why we should be strong. Be strong because God began his work in you and he will complete his work in you. That's what the choir sang about Sunday. God begins the work in us and God completes the work and that's exactly what Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You see, you're strong. You just have to keep this in mind that God is working in you. All of the time, God's working in you. He's not going to leave. His work is always going on, and God will finish that work that he begun. So Paul says, be strong and in the power of his might because he lives in you. He's working in you. So this is what the Christian does. We've got to stand strong. We've got to hold our ground. Hold the fort. That's what the songwriter said. See the signal, he said. And I think the signal that all of us need to be looking for is the promise that we have. Our redemption draweth nigh. It's coming. We just got to keep faithful and keep holding our ground. Stay strong, Paul says. Be strong. Be a good soldier of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for 
your word. We thank you for even the strength that we get from just reading your word and finding out about these precious promises and knowing that you are behind us, you're working for us, you're working in us. Lord, help every church member here tonight to rely on the strength and the power of God Almighty. Bless our people, Lord. Bless in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.